deep shot. He's got the touchdown. And Mahomes at bay. The Tampa Bay Bucks, Super Bowl 55. Hello and welcome to the Bucks Banter Podcast live on Bucks Report. I am your host, Colin Hallboom, and I am joined by my co-host, Scott Capron and Bo Danyard. What's going on, fellas? Happy Monday to you both. You too. Right on. So uh, we've got a fun episode this evening. We've Our last couple of shows, we've been taking a, a look at specific aspects of the NFL as a whole. Today, we really want to zero back in on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I feel like some things have happened. Uh, There's some news information we can catch up on and discuss. Uh, So after we do a little bit of that on what's up with the Bucs, we're going to get into creating, I'm going to create or unveil my all-time Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. So that's uh, an accumulation of players from any era who have been Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, and what would make the ideal starting 11 defensive unit? So uh, I hope you, Scott, Bo, I hope you guys will be uh, interested in that. I'm sure you will or you wouldn't be here. Can't wait. Um, I'm sure you'll get no pushback at all, and everyone will just be completely cool with your selections. <laughs> and um, I got to assume it's uh, Martin Gramatica heavy, uh, as most Bucks defenses would be. So <laughs> we're just all waiting for that. There we go. Yeah. So good. <laughs> All right, well, let's start with what's up with the Bucks. Um, Bruce Arians and Jason Light, we haven't been on. We haven't talked about this yet, but Bucko Bruce gets a much-deserved raise. It sounds like he was actually a little bit surprised pleasantly by that. He wasn't expecting it or anything like that. He's happy to honor his contract as it was. Um, and then Jason Light signs an extension. Again, very well-deserved for the – uh, for the head honcho, the team builder of the mm-hmm. Buccaneers. I mean, that's exciting for any Bucks fan to know that that dynamic duo uh, is going to remain together. Uh, I think – you think Jason Light signed his extension and then decided to give Bruce the raise, or, or do you think that was like a from the top, Glazer's decision? Yeah, tough one, tough one. I feel like he probably got it and then realized, uh, yeah, Bruce, we can uh, – we can find a little extra chunk for you as well here now that I'm locked up. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't see the details on it. Is it a? It's not an extension for Bruce. It's just a raise. Right. Yeah. He's got a. Okay. He's got a couple years left, I believe. So. That's actually perfect. Yeah. Like, that's that's he's perfect. He's pretty that's, old. And yeah. uh, it, these things can go sideways pretty quickly. Not that I'm foreseeing Bruce Arians becoming a bad coach or anything like that, but. You don't need to add too many extra years. Give them a little, give them some extra extra Super Bowl cash, and uh, perfect. Everybody's happy. Winning exactly. is the best medicine. So yeah. whatever health issues have uh, plagued Bruce Arians in the past, I think uh, haven't been an issue since the last calendar year, anyway. Uh, so yeah, there's no complaints. Nothing to talk about there. It's just pretty. It's I'm happy that Jason Light's going to be sticking around. Um, and Bruce gets Jason Light's a off. big one, right? Jason yeah. Light's oh, a big yeah. one just to like make sure that. I don't think anybody was concerned about it at all this year, but that we weren't se- that you guys weren't selling out for a Super Bowl uh, at all, right? Like it, it, this guy's got an eye to the future. You can see it in the way that he's structuring all these contracts with the the new favorite term in Tampa, avoidable years. So <laughs> I, I, I think uh, I think you're in good hands with Jason Light at the helm for sure. And then Bruce getting a raise more than more than deserved. 
Yeah, and like you're totally right, Bo. Like, like he has had his eye on the future. He's never sold out for immediate dividends. Um, any he, he's also been really great for any failed signings he's had, free agent signings, and there's a number still or, or bad draft picks. He's not so stubborn that he's not willing to cut bait. Like, like, and yeah. the way they structure their deals puts them in a position to do that by limiting guaranteed money. Uh, so, so he's really done a good job of that, and that's why they've been in the position they are this off season where they where they can look to the future a little bit and borrow a little bit of money from from future years to keep this impressive group intact. And I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum. I think any Bucks reporting network has, uh, but it deserves to be mentioned constantly because it's really a theme of the offseason in the NFL as a whole. It's such a unique thing. Yeah. And first of all, I would say that uh, Voidable Years sounds like a band that opened up for Sublime in 1996. Um, but, um, just, I mean, call and, and, you know, any fan would feel this, but to actually trust your GM and trust your coach and like what they've done, that stability is almost, almost priceless, right? Cause you're thinking about what some other teams have. And, um, uh, especially in the NFL when there seems not as much, I don't want to say power struggle, but who's who's actually putting these teams together? How much power does each head coach have over the actual GM and, um, and the ops guys. Right. And it seems to be clearly defined in Tampa, which is important for any organization, sports or otherwise. And look at what the results have, uh, have been. Right. So just, yeah, I mean, not unexpected as you said, but at the same time it's done and just what a great thing to have off your list. Absolutely. Well said. Um, so mini camp took place last week, uh, and there were some fun little like subplots to that. And my personal favorite, uh, if you go back a week prior, Bruce Arians was getting asked about Tom Brady. How's Tom's knee? What's the status entering, you know, heading into mini camp? And Bruce was very clear in saying he doesn't expect Tom to do much of anything. He's going to just kind of be a coach out there. And then sure enough, first day of mini camp, the clips start coming out. Brady looking bouncy as hell in the pocket, yeah. throwing the ball. Brady said, hell no, I'm coming back, baby. I don't care. My knee is healthy. I got the TB12 electrolytes or whatever I need to stay fresh. Um, and that was really cool for me to see. He's just a junkie. He's just a fo- He's just like a true diehard football. Ju- I mean, not that's pretty clear considering he's playing into his mid-40s that he loves it, but not shocking at all that he probably – uh let Trask take about three reps before getting in there and uh showing him what's up right so yeah it sounds uh just about par for the course for old tv12 and those electrolytes yeah it's super on brand i i (laughs) I don't know i forget what's uh what if we have this on the rundown but that chris godwin article i think we all read it today um when he's just talking about tom brady and tom brady truly has that onto the next play mentality to me, that's just the embodiment of this. It's like the smallest details, he's still taking care of them because he's just like, I'm just not going to get beat that way. It, um, yeah, and isn't it ahead. funny, Bo, that he has the on-to-the-next-play mentality, which some people might have, but he actually physically has it by literally throwing the ball into the ground when he when he knows the play is going nowhere. And exactly. Just, and just take, as opposed to potentially losing four or five yards and just like, all right, second and 10, we can still get a first down kind of like it actually manifests. It's that, that mentality actually manifests itself in the way he organizes and, and plays a game. Yeah. It's truly a mentality for, for Brady, yeah. like for a lot of, 
of like athletes, a lot of people in general to like take plays off or like take like little moments off and are just like, well, I don't have to do this, so I'm not going to do it. Like Brady's just like, I'm just going to master all the details and move on. Like, yeah, that's it, that's it. And it is not, I mean, you know, it is not easy for any athlete to concede a loss or a the quote unquote failure on any, any part of a game, any individual play like in football. And he's just like, a true, uh, you know, lose the battle to win the war kind of guy, right? And it comes out, and it's just uh, this is another example. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it and like you said, like when you trust your quarterback's decision making, you're not going to have any issue with him doing that. You just feel good. Okay, he didn't like Tom didn't like that. We got this yeah. one here. Exactly. So, yeah, totally. Like you said, manifests itself amongst the entire team, which is cool. Um, Joe Tryon, Bucks first round pick. We've talked a lot about Joe Tryon. Uh, he was on the field participating for the first time with his teammates as expected during last week's mini camp. Um, that's good to see. Apparently, yeah. he, look, he looked good. Uh, Bruce Bruce was, you know, complimenting how he looked out there. Obviously, not doing much of anything. It's almost impossible to evaluate, you know, linemen of any sort uh, without pads on. But he was apparently, like, from reading some reports from guys who were there in the media, um, Todd Bowles was quick to have him drop it into coverage. And like John, oh, wow. Led, John Ledyard from the Pewter Report, and that that was one of the big perks of Tryon's scouting uh, report was his versatility and his ability to drop into coverage, which is obviously a, a unique trait for any edge rusher. Um, and apparently, he looked incredibly nimble out there, according to John Ledyard, who's one of the best in the business in terms of covering the Bucks for the Pewter Report. Shout out John. Um, so just I trust John's eye test on his own. Like that's not like you know. Bruce or Todd Bull saying that to appease the media. That's just a genuine observation he had. So that's cool. One of my favorite uh, schemes or any sort of defensive thing. And, and once again, I'm not going to be the guy on here all season breaking down swim moves and, and, you know, who's busting up run plays in the middle of the defense, you know, like I know what I know, but one of my favorite things is when you have uh, just an agile freak and when they when they fake rush one step and then drop back into coverage, like what on earth does a quarterback think when that's happening? And then you have like a cornerback coming off the edge or another linebacker uh, filling that gap, and then like you know the gigantic defensive end is falling back, looking to take it, like looking to uh, trick the quarterback and take it back to the house, right? Like that that's just one of my favorite things. Such a good sign to see from him. Yeah, like I feel like I've seen JJ Watt get yeah. too many interceptions for a guy of his yeah. size and it's exactly because of that right the yeah. defensive coordinator's got to put him in a position to trust a player of that size to be that nimble but it's not even like your, your defensive end or edge rusher or outside linebacker you're expecting to necessarily shut down the offensive player it's more to, to clog up the visual for the opposing quarterback and sometimes oh, yeah. they'll panic yeah. or they just won't even see you because they're not expecting exactly. it so yeah it's, just it's, give them a different look right That's yeah all, yeah everything and top balls is surprise, a surprise yeah Todd Bowles yeah. is the king of that. He loves deception. Um, he loves doing that. And that's why we saw a lot of Shaq Barrett and JPP getting their hands on balls in passing lanes last year. JPP had several picks last season. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Crazy. Um, Trask signed his four-year rookie deal uh, in terms of the rookies while we're on that topic. Jalen Darden, unfortunately, I was asked on last week's show um, by one of the viewers, what are you most looking forward to in minicamp? And I, I specifically mentioned – Jalen Darden and the rookie group. So because Jalen Darden have been tearing up all these undrafted free agent rookies and guys who are kind of 
trudging through mud to try and make the league and he was just dominating them along with Jaden Micken. So I was looking forward to seeing some like skeleton shell drills where, where he's going to work on a more talented corner. Some of our starting corners, perhaps see him go up against and like Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, but he was held out. Unfortunately, Jalen Darden with a minor hamstring tweak. So, and um, that we, we should, uh, we should clarify being held out of this year's OTAs eliminates him when you pick your, uh, your all time bucks offense. Right, like I, I think it's going to be tough for him to crack that now. I, That's that, at least strike one. Yeah, it's strike one. Not to bury the lead or anything. Like who knows between now and that episode, we're talking defense today. But just I, I just want the viewers and the listeners to know that it's going to be a tough squad for him to make. Yeah, and you made me realize I can't pick Martin Gramatica because he doesn't play defense. So that's like one of my guys right there. I got to try and replace on the fly. I don't know how I'm going to do it. That's You're good you at that, though. Yeah, that's yeah. what you think about. I feel like that's why you've been watching the Bucks all these years. Is just that you have that that counter for the Martin Gramaticas of the world. <laughs> John Johnny Dean is in the building. I've got to bring this up. Stefan Gilmore and go Johnny Dean. I hate to do it, but I'm gonna shut you down. You gotta tune in. You gotta watch our last episode of the Bucks Banter podcast. wasn't live on Bucks Report. We break down the, the entire AFC East division. Um, so we talk we talk about Stefan Gilmore there. Uh, but Eric Hartnett, Hartnett is more likely accurate in understanding what Johnny Dean was getting at. He's saying the Bucks not getting Stephon Gilmore. Um, I agree, and I don't. I don't know if they want to mess with the continuity, but I mean, Stephon Gilmore is obviously he's Stephon awesome. Gilmore. Yeah, he's pretty pretty damn good. So yeah. sorry, it, uh, when you say the Bucks aren't getting him, is it a is it more of a finance is it more of a financial thing right now? Do you think they could make the room for him? Because if you could, for someone like him, I, I feel like you're going to try, even though obviously they're, they played great last year. Great question. Uh, the reason why, in my opinion, is because all of the Buccaneers starting defensive backs are on rookie deals right now. And that's a huge reason why we're in such a financial, great financial position. So Carlton Davis is up for a new deal after this offseason for one, and he's going to command big money. And if you want to keep him in Tampa, you got to free up money. Ryan Jensen is due for a new deal. Our stud center, arguably the best center in football, according to Brandon Thorne, who is my go-to uh, offensive line guru, per se. Um, Chris Godwin. These are guys we're going to have to pay, right? Um, so I think in terms of Stephon Gilmore, I just think we run with the, the continuity. Those young defensive backs are getting better. And we have a whole bunch of them. That's why we drafted so many in the first three rounds. So I really do think we wouldn't even look at that right now. Fair enough. Fair enough. The continuity to me. Like, I feel like even when we were talking about, like, this alternate universe where, like, Julio Jones is available for the Bucks and it was shot down immediately, I think you got to approach Steven, Stephon Gilmore the exact same way. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah, it's tough. You can't have every good player in the league, right? Yeah. Um, Chris Godwin, Bo, you mentioned the article. I'll get there in just a moment. But uh, he also, prior to that, that article for Peter King's website coming out today, written by Chris Godwin, uh, he did mention in an interview last week that there is a mutual interest for a contract extension. Of course, Godwin's playing under the franchise tag this season. Um, you know, the, Godwin wants to be back, and the Bucks want Godwin back. Uh, I mean, you already got him on the franchise tag. Yeah, if you can work something out soon, sweet, do it. Uh, but at the same time, I think that's going to kind of fade to the background. And, and I, I imagine he's, I don't know. We'll see if it gets done. I really, I have no intel on it. Uh, it's nice to know, though, that he, he seems to want to be back. And if you did read Chris Godwin's article, 
uh, for Peter King. It dropped today. Um, if you didn't read it, I highly suggest you do. I was super impressed. I was kind of gushing over it because like, as I tweeted out earlier today, if you don't already love Chris Godwin, reading this piece he wrote uh, will give you a nice glimpse into the type of outlook he has on life and football. And like you said, a really cool behind the scenes look at Tom Brady. Uh, for a guy who, who was playing only with Jameis Winston prior to that, I mean, what a polar opposite experience that must have been for a wide receiver coming into the league with Jameis and then switching to Tom Brady. Yeah, like having the ball thrown to him was a <laughs> not I just mean, around him. Yeah, not just in the general in the stadium that he that they both happened to be in that day. <laughs> a huge change for sure, hundred percent. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and then another cool thing that I didn't know about Godwin was like, he, first of all, he talked about developing his love for the game as a, as an offensive lineman. Cause when he was playing like pop Warner, they had like weight restrictions for what positions you could play. Mm. Yeah. So, cause he was a big kid. He was like tall and uh, he was too tall and heavy to be allowed to play a skill position. So he, he developed his passion for the game as a lineman, which I found really cool. So like, you know, that kind of explains the origin of his like physical style of play in the blocking game or the run game, at least, or his willingness to get his nose dirty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, uh, not a diva wide receiver, right? Not one or, uh, you know, not pigeonholed is that that's for sure. In his first, in his you can tell. Career. Yeah. You can tell that from just watching him play now. That, like, yeah. He yeah. just loves blocking. I thought it was hilarious that his first like, team he ever signed up for and played for was called the bucks and he ended up yeah. going being drafted by the bucks and That's funny. It, it was a really good article like I, I just i was not expecting that from chris godwin at all i just i just expect him to be the super hard nose slot receiver who likes hitting people and catching the ball mm. um, and he does like those two things but yeah he's a really positive outlook on life as well too and really humble as well yeah growing up in delaware uh, yeah He's six years old his first year. The team he gets put on is the Bucks, <laughs> And sure enough, what year was it? It was 2002, the year wow. the Bucks won the Super Bowl. So God, that was his team at that point as a kid. You know, the smallest things can impact what team you cheer for. So pretty cool. I didn't know that because Godwin isn't out here like trying to glorify his upbringing. He just quietly goes about his business. So I just loved reading that article. And if you haven't, you should definitely check it out. Um search peter king's account on twitter or maybe it's like nbc something uh probably be helpful if i had the link handy maybe we can get that into the uh, comments I, I think people can find it i think people can find it yeah you're right we're capable capable intergalactic group capable searchers yeah they found us so. yeah <laughs> is there any other big news that either you gentlemen want to bring up uh or discuss before we get into the nitty-gritty juicy titty this is uh, been looking forward to this episode uh, since we kind of came up with the idea what a, a few a handful of weeks ago. So I, I'm I'm glad we got through the buck stuff, a uh, little bit of NFL around the league type of info updates. But I'm legitimately pumped to talk about this team that you've uh, that you've assembled here, Boom. Yeah, I've got some uh, Jake Paul thoughts, but we can get to that at the very end. <laughs> yeah, leave that, please. Yeah, yeah no worries. Um, but yeah, so what I'm going to be doing here is position group by position group. I have been challenged by my co-host here to create a starting defensive unit of, and I have every Tampa Bay Buccaneer who has ever been to choose from. Um, so of course, only one at each position, unless it's a position where there's two on the field. Um, so I'm just picking the starters for my team, my all-time Buccaneers defense. 
any era. Uh, and it's not easy to do. And I still encourage you to, uh, to challenge my choices. I know a lot of you, a lot of you folks who are regulars checking in on the show will not be afraid to do that. Um, so please do so. Uh, so where you guys want me to start? Why don't I start in the trenches, like right up, right up front on that defensive line? One sec, boom. Just before we start, I just want to say, Bo, how, like, are we geniuses? Like calling us to do all this research and deep dive comparing different eras. And we just get to sit here and rip it apart after like sign me up. I, 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 yeah, I might, I might just grab a dart and lay out for a little bit, but let's yeah, go. I, let's yeah. Go. I, the thing is, I've known Colin basically my entire life. I'm willing to bet that he could have done this off the top of, with less prep than you or I did for what That's we were doing. So, also, it, I, I don't feel super bad for him. No, me neither. But just let me have this. All right, uh, <laughs> felt really good for that, like about thirty seconds ago. So if we can just go back to that. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, all right, boom. Let's let's get into it, pal. All right. Yes, and revisiting the the nostalgia. It was, it, this has been a heartwarming experience, but challenging myself at the same time because I got to make choices. So, uh, defensive end. I picked two defensive ends, edge rushers. I'm going with the traditional format. So I'm going four D linemen, three linebackers, four DBs for this particular roster, and you'll see why as I unveil it. Um, so one of my two defensive ends I've chosen out of all of the defensive ends who have ever been in Tampa, first off, and in no particular order between the two, they're, they're, I'm not ranking them, It's these are the two guys I have chosen above the rest, Simeon Rice. Simeon Rice. So, yeah. I mean, Simeon Rice was a was a beast, and I feel like he kind of got like overshadowed on that great Bucks defense under Tony Dungy and John Gruden. Um, he was the third overall selection in the '96 draft uh, by the Arizona Cardinals out of the University of Illinois. Um, eight double-digit sack seasons in the NFL, five in a row starting in 2001 when he joined the Bucks. Uh, the season before they they went on to win the Super Bowl. So. He's a super durable player as well. He only missed one game in his first five seasons in Tampa for, you know, such a physical position like edge rusher. That's extremely valuable. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know who's newer, check out some Simeon Rice clips. Like, he was a major factor at this point of his career. He really entered his prime when the Bucks acquired him. Um, just like a powerful athletic defensive end, 6'5", uh, 270, great motor, hunger to sack the quarterback. So, uh, he really fit in perfectly on the edge, rushing the passer, passer alongside Warren Sapp. And like I said, I think I think Sapp kind of over, overshadowed Simeon Rice a lot. And I think because, you know, he commands so much attention on the field and off it. So Super Bowl champion, integral piece of the vaunted D that helped bring Tampa its first Lombardi trophy. Simeon Rice locks up one of my two edge rusher positions. And sorry, let me make one thing clear. I forgot to say off the top, gentlemen. I am picking these players based on their performances as Tampa Bay Buccaneers. As Bucks, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I just want that want to be clear about that. So if some yeah. guy like lights it up on another team and comes to the Bucks at the tail end of his career. I'm not that doesn't. Yeah, happen. yeah. That that's no for sure. And yeah. I mean, no argument on Rice here for me. He was what a third overall pick. I think in the Keyshawn Johnson draft. Um, one of those guys. One of the first guys like when i started really watching college football in the big 10 especially as a michigan guy uh playing illinois just a total freak total um like that guy shouldn't be playing in college kind of thing you, you, you know i actually remember my dad saying that watching a game and just like he's ready to play right away uh and 
12 years in the NFL, three all pro or three pro bowls. Like that's nothing to sneeze at at all. And once again, just an absolute menace on, on that defense, uh, along with basically everybody, like the rest of the starting 11 of that entire defense. But, um, I mean, I have to assume you're not going to get too much pushback, uh, on that pit call. Yeah. I don't think you're like, I feel like, uh, people are going to be kind of expecting a lot of people from that dungy offense, uh, dungy defense to be on here. And Simeon Rice is definitely one of those guys. Like I see, that pewter like every time i look at like i think of his name i kind of like, yes. see the bucks colors like he was a like not only like a great player for you guys but like a really good ambassador as well too so it's like a sexy edge rusher like not like you know yeah. what i mean like the way he played like a slashing fast like just a fun edge rusher so hopefully exactly. joe, joe tryon becomes an ex simeon rice and like uh, come on, that is a sick name simeon rice like yeah. it just rolls off the top like that guy was like just sounds down. scary yeah, it sounds amazing. Like, yeah. all name team as well if we end up doing that later. <laughs> I agree, and there's so many good names in the NFL over the years. We should do that one day. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so my other edge rusher to pair alongside Simeon Rice coming off the edge, Leroy Selman. A little bit before my time, I hate to admit it, but Buccaneers fans know. Johnny Dean, hold your horses. Don't worry, I was getting here, dude. Uh, Leroy Selman. He, of course, is my other edge rusher. Uh, he was the first overall pick in the Buccaneers' inaugural expansion season in 19. Sorry, he was the first overall pick in, yeah, 76. 1976. Yeah. Six, six times Pro Bowler, three time first, te- first team All Pro, two time second team All Pro. Um, he's part of the all, all NFL All 80s. 1980s all-decade team. He was a defensive player of the year and defensive lineman of the year in 79. He's in the Bucks ring of honor. Uh, jersey retired by the Bucks. A member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame and College Football Hall of Fame. Wow. Yeah, like, like you know, his, his resume. His accolades really added up, eh? Like, that, that's no, I mean, not going to lie. Didn't know much about Leroy Selman before today. But, yeah, just doing some reading. Oh, my goodness. The numbers in uh, – just some of the achievements he put up there. Holy like yeah. not bad. Exactly. So I'm not gonna pretend because I like like I was throwing on the Selman tape all day today, like yeah. breaking down his yeah. you know, all, all his moves, but it's he's he's fun to read about and I have watched in the past what there is. And and I know Bucks fans love he was rocking those creamsicles. Oh um but Barry all so he, jerseys. Yeah, everyone feels that way. I don't want to give my take on it right at this moment because I, I wanna there's gonna be enough controversy as it is. So we'll we'll discuss Jersey Bucks jerseys. <laughs> Bucks jerseys later. I got a, I got a little piece that's gonna go up that's got some cream skull. It's gonna make the, the wall of fame. Shout out to Binks actually. That's from our friend Jory. Nice. Um, great point here, Johnny Dean. Uh, if Leroy had his sacks counted, he would be top five all time easy. Yeah, I can't speak to it from watching that, but obviously it's not fair to compare his his sack uh, stats because yeah. that was not a statistic that was tracked. So, uh, but he played for uh, Barry Switzer. At Oklahoma, who's obviously a, a legendary head coach. Legendary teams. Yeah, and and I mean, he's a not Switzer. I mean, I'm sure Switzer is too. But Leroy Selman's a College Football Hall of Famer as well as has a gold jacket. He won back to back national championships and was an All American both years at Oklahoma. This is just more for like a little extra info that's kind of interesting. Youngest of three brothers to play at Oklahoma, and the cool thing about. Leroy, I think, for all of our Floridians watching the show, is 
he's an Oklahoma boy, went to Oklahoma, and then he ends up retiring and spending his post-football years in Florida. He became a Tampa resident during his post-playing career, spent 10 years working for the athletic department at USF before becoming the athletic director there in the early 2000s. So that's pretty cool. I mean, I know you got someone comes to your city to play for your sports team, obviously loyal to where they came from, and they're like, no, I'm good here. I'm going to settle here. Like, Yeah. It's kind of cool. That is super cool. I, I would assume that Tampa is slightly more enticing than Eufaula, Oklahoma, where he's from. But I, the, the sentiment remains. I see what you're saying, and that is that is super cool. And being the athletic director at USF, that's another, like, that's legit. And sorry not to, uh, you know, keep going on the names, I, but I really like how it's Leroy, the two separate names. It's not Leroy. It's not Leroy. Like, it's 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 its own thing. I feel like you don't yeah. see that too much anymore. And um, anyway, yeah, just, uh, wow, what a career. I feel like he's a full name guy too. I feel like no one ever is just calling him Lee. Yeah. Like oh, it's, it's Leroy Selman. Leroy, and he's about to take your head off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in the comments here, Eric tells us that uh, on Facebook, Eric tells us that Leroy Selman has a restaurant in Tampa, Florida. That's always cool too. But I also kind of feel like what, what, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer does and it feels like there's a million restaurants in in Tampa but but thank you for sharing that I was not aware of that Eric um, that is really cool that he ended up like staying in Tampa afterwards you know what I mean like just coming from a guy who's like a Toronto Raptors fan I feel like that's like a dream scenario for like any like superstar player to be like oh I love Toronto so much I'm gonna stay there it's like it's the ultimate like I don't know tip of yeah. the hat to the fans yeah, it's, it's awesome. He's got a highway named after him. <laughs> yeah. It connects the South Tampa neighborhood near McDill Air Force Base with downtown Tampa, the Leroy Selman Expressway. I mean, the, the guy's done it all down there. Well, what else do you need? Yeah, I'm surprised it, it's not a highway from connecting the interior of the defensive line to the edge rusher position because apparently he swapped between those at Oklahoma. He was listed as a defensive tackle and that's the position group I want to get into next. All right. So uh, how's that for a, for a smooth entrance onto the highway? Uh, I quite well, like it. It was pretty good until you just asked for a compliment about it. Um, <laughs> let you have it actually, but uh, all right, I guess we'll damn. damn Great, job. Right. Great job. You're right. Valuable feedback there for next time. <laughs> Damn it. Um, all right. Let's talk interior defensive linemen. Two open spots here for me. And I have a feeling, and it's not going to start with this first name I'm going to address, but I have a feeling one of these two guys is going to invoke some controversial differences in opinion potentially in the chats. So first off, who else? Of course, Warren Sapp is one of the two defensive tackles who I'm going to have on my all-time Bucks defense. Uh, let me fire through some of these stats I jotted down uh, or, or res aspects of his NFL career. Uh, 12th overall selection in round one of the 95 draft. I love NFL drafts. It's like drafts are my favorite thing, so I can't help but always mention where they were drafted. So Yeah, um, yeah I know you're fine with it, Scott. Well, I, let's go all night. Let's, let's break down <laughs> the sixth round of that draft. Crazy draft, actually, uh, no, uh, especially it. for the Bucks. Uh, so he's a seven-time Pro Bowler, Warren Sapp, uh, six-time All-Pro. Four of those were first-team All-Pro. NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 1999 to match his number, 99. He's, of course, in the Ring of Honor, uh, has his jersey retired in Tampa. 
Um, he was a unanimous All-American at Miami. Now, Scott, this is really going to get you going. I don't know if you know this, but what I'm about to talk about. So, in 1991, he is technically an NCAA champion at the University of Miami, okay? Yeah. And I thought of you the whole time I was reading, found myself down this little wormhole. Yeah. Um, so, but he was, Miami was not the sole NCAA champion in 91 in college football. They split the championship with the Washington Huskies. Yes. Because both teams were undefeated, but they were they were obligated to play in their respective Bulls. bowl games, right? Yeah. Due to obligation, sponsorships, whatever. Yeah. BS from back when. So yeah. not even that long ago, but so that's how they were. So it's just kind of funny when you see that. And I'm like, you know, as, as many complaints as there are about college football playoff and the system, the BCS system, at least we have have a semifinal and a championship game at the collegiate yeah. level. Oh, you know? it was something that it was in that time. Uh, I don't know if it was that year exactly, but Miami and Washington were actually supposed to play at the start of the year, but there was a hurricane, like a literal hurricane in Miami, and it got postponed or or canceled altogether. And they, I think they made it up the next year, and Miami just absolutely rolled them, like because it was kind of billed as the national championship game, but the following season. I could be remembering wrong, but there's something like that going on there with those two teams, so that's funny. But, yeah. Uh, imagine playing your whole season and explaining that there are two now that there's a yeah, you're a tie. It's a tie. Yeah. Oh, is it? How come? Oh, we don't have. We don't know. We don't know. Oh, all right. Yeah, that no, that, that totally makes sense. Well, Michigan's last one was in '97, and they split it with Nebraska. Like it's not even their own. Anyway, yeah, totally ridiculous. But yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, back to back to Warren Sapp. Four seasons with double-digit sacks in the NFL, including 16 and a half in 2000. High sack totals from defensive tackles. You know, those that's are always insane. special. That's insane. Yeah, that's nuts. Bo, I don't know, but he's the first. He, I think of Sapp even before I think of uh, Derek Brooks when I think about Bucks yeah. defenses. I don't know where where you would be on that one. Yeah, I would like as a guy just like yeah, growing up with that like. Sap era, like yeah, yeah. I would say like Warren Sap is probably the first person that comes to mind, but I still think of Simeon Rice as like the like all, oh, okay. one of the all time ambassadors on that line as well too. Yeah. I just remember, I just remember him. I don't know why. Maybe it's like NFL Blitz or something like that playing like <laughs> in the video game growing up. But like yeah, yeah Derek Brooks, Simeon Rice, Warren Sap. I just they stick out of my head. And Sap also with the no gloves and just like the yeah. tape. The tape. Yeah, he's exactly. like yeah, one of the all time like I feel like I've I've watched so many like I feel like every time I start thinking about Warren Sapp I like end up watching like a ton of his interviews even like the interviews from right now and he's just like him talking about the combine and like how he felt about the draft process in general him just being like I just need to get out there I'm gonna destroy this league like yeah. immediately and he, like as soon as he got snaps like he was like he was he's so good. Um, Literally one of the only people in the world that has something on The Rock. So that's <laughs> another thing that I always like bring around with me on WhatsApp. Is that like the recruiting story or something? Yeah, the recruiting story yeah. and him just basically like when he when they were on the team, he would just literally just kind of bully <laughs> The Rock and just be like, you can't play because I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah. He, I mean, he's got a nasty mean streak. Everyone knows that. Fear throw oh, yeah. the league. Um, but you're you, you're totally right too, and I don't think it's just you, Scott, that kind of views Sap as the face of that defense. Even though like Bucks fans probably are a little more biased Derek towards Brooks. Derek Brooks. Yeah. Um, 
because you know he had the belly he had the braids he had the big smile the yeah. celebrations the trash talking personality so um he was the focal point within the media as well right like yeah. i remember being very young pretty young anyway and it was the battle of the bays they were coining it and it was green bay versus um tampa bay of course yeah. and it was all it about is. sap versus Favre. yeah yeah that was the thing that was that that was how it was built always right yeah uh, wow seems crazy now that tampa played that division twice every year you know it, it just seems so much more makes so much more sense to be in the with the three teams that they are now when they did the realignment as opposed to tampa playing chicago detroit minnesota and green bay like <laughs> but yeah I feel like Florida throughout all the major sports gets thrown into these different like geographical groups. Like I don't, we don't know what to do with them here. Yeah. Play the team from Wisconsin. That makes sense. Yeah. No uh, kidding. I feel like they just like put them wherever they need meteorites. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So Warren yeah. Sapp, of course. And then my other defensive tackle, this is the one I'm really curious to hear what our listeners have to chime in. So, um, I want to know who you guys would pick for the other interior defensive linemen. For me, I'm going with Gerald McCoy. Um, drafted third overall in 2010 out of uh, Oklahoma. He was drafted just after. First went Sam Bradford. Second went Ndamukong Sue. Um, of course, current Buccaneer. And the much meaner, more effective version of Gerald McCoy at every level. Um but that being said, Gerald McCoy, man, like he was a good dude and he was an effective football player despite never winning at the NFL level and in Tampa. And I think it's important to separate the two. Like how can a defensive tackle single-handedly carry a team? Like can Aaron Donald even do that? Like, you know what I mean? Like it's football, right? You need to have a stable roster and something uh, built around this guy, at least like on that side of the ball to expect him to directly impact your wins and loss totals. Um, so yeah, six time pro bowler, all with the bucks. Of course, all his good stuff was with the bucks. He's a four time all pro. Don't forget that people, and not to say that all pro is, is the end all be all for assessing it's how something. good you are, but, but it, it, matters. Is, it matters. Totally. Like, yeah. To be in that conversation, whether you're first team, second team, I don't know at that point, you know, it's semantics often, uh, and just ask Levante David when we get there, but, um, mm. Anyway, yeah, so we're already getting some comments cr criticizing the, the Gerald McCoy take. Not surprised this by is, that. This is, like, can I just jump in here? Like, I think that you're going to get some controversy here, too. But I think it's all an NFC South thing, right? Like, you guys are pissed he went to the Panthers. Man, I think it's more about how Gerald McCoy carried himself in his time here. He's a different breed. And the perfect comparison is Nadamik and Sue because they were the two top uh, yeah. defensive tackles coming out. Nadamik and Sue is getting – finds getting flags for being just like a mean sob who wants to rip your throat out and feed it to your children kind of dude whereas uh gerald mccoy more wants to serve your kids birthday cake and like he's super friendly and happy go lucky and that's just the way he is as a dude yeah and that is what i believe for bucks fans just being a bucks fan my entire life that i think that's kind of the primary reason and then the, the panthers thing in the end really just kind of made it that much worse well yeah like you like when you found out he was going to the panthers you were like was your head not like this for like a while? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would just be so pissed off about that, especially like, I don't know. It is, but, but like his, his production and durability are pretty, you know, it's undeniable. Undeniable. Yeah. That, like, and yeah, that's my whole point. Yeah. 
His yeah. second I would year, say like like who who do you have in behind him? Vita Vea. Well, and that's four years. Vita Vita's just not on the field enough, and I believe Vita's yeah. impact goes way beyond. Like he's like a like a true like nose tackle, but not like that would hurt Vita in this case. It's simply a matter of he missed most of last year. Vita's impact. He hasn't done it long enough. I think it will not take long, maybe one more season, for Vita Vea to, to, to be Vita Vea before he could replace someone like Joe McCoy on my list. I just think Bucks fans need to remember Gerald McCoy was all we had at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Seven-time All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler on a terrible tire fire of a team at the time. Losing his franchise in professional sports, guys, that's us. We can't forget that. Come on, yeah. let's, keep, let's keep our heads about us. Uh, and Gerald McCoy was good, and I don't care about his personality because you know who else ha- is known for having that like friendly, like whatever personality? Tristan Wirfs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the maybe the best right tackle in football as a rookie, and and that was a critique about him coming out, and he sure handled Cam Jordan pretty well this year. Yeah. You know, sh- sure handled everyone pretty well this year. I'm sure. I-, I think a lot of it is just probably associating his his tenure with losing. Right, and he was a high pick, and even though yeah. he's a defensive tackle, like he's he, he can't stop Jameis from throwing picks, right? Like, which is what happened for basically his whole career, or sorry, his whole time with the Bucks. Um, I, hey, if the pushback is because Gerald McCoy is synonymous with losing, then you know I, it's probably an argument worth um, worth listening to, but. The like like we were saying, the durability. Like he had the one season where he only played six games, but every other season it was at least thirteen. He started everyone. Uh, like mentioning with the Pro Bowls and the All Pros, like it's he's good, man. Like he was good. Yeah, and my dude there in the comments is criticizing him, saying he's just a run stuffer. I disagree. I mean, if you look at his stretch from. 2012 till 2016 he's going five nine and a half eight and a half eight and a half seven sacks for as a defensive tackle i mean you know that's damn good he's good in both damn good in both so sorry to disagree with you eric but that is how i feel regarding that i think he was a he was a nice combination between being a really good run defender and a more than adequate pass rusher as well and think of how hard it was for him with who he had rushing the passer around him you know, throw throw JPP, Shaq Barrett, like quality edge rushers around Gerald yeah. McCoy. I'm sure he'd have a lot more. Are these are these people in the comments throwing out any other suggestions, or are they just hating on McCoy? Nominee, like, because <laughs> like, hey, if there's gonna be two people, there has to be. That's uh, true. Yep. Yeah, so that's a good point. So, so in the comments, suggest who you think would be you would have instead of my choice. Please. That's that's a good call. I love that. Um, so I think Vita Vea is, is probably going to be the consensus one, but I, I just feel like the resume for Gerald McCoy is he has to be that second DT. Right. I, I like it so far. No no hate from my co-host at least, so that's nice. Um, <laughs> all right, so that's it. That's the front four right there. And Vita Vea will probably take over for Gerald McCoy within a year or two is my best guess, assuming he can stay healthy. Um, so this is the most – fun position for me to do right now um oh cool before i move on to this jeffrey olsen coming in on youtube says if you knock mccoy for being too nice and losing too much then maybe we should talk about taking out leroy too so there you go i and and jeff i can't talk to leroy selman i don't know his character sure sure as hell sounds like a real nice fella owning these restaurants and being just such a good ambassador in the city and athletic director so that's a great point 
like consider that too right and i'm not i don't care if you're nice i don't care there's different types of people how you perform on the field is all i'm judging you by and if your teammates like you and you show you are respected by your teammates you can carry yourself however you want yeah right yeah but the linebacker position, obviously, I got to pick three linebackers when I'm talking Tampa Bay Buccaneers football. Um, like you see, you see behind me, I got the autograph Derek Brooks right behind my fat head. Um, one of my one of my favorites. You got the O2 Super Bowl banner. Oh see, yeah, see Mike Allstott. So I, I appreciate the glory days for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And um, like I think most people, I don't expect any complaints regarding this choice. One of my three linebackers is Derek Brooks. Played with the Bucks from 95 to 2008. Um, and he was in the same draft. And I know most Bucks fans know this, but you got to say it anyway. He was their, the Bucks' second first-round selection in that 95 draft. So they, they just went gold jacket, gold jacket. We're going sap, then Derek Brooks at the end, towards the end of the first round. Um, pretty incredible haul. He's a what I call a career Buccaneer. Um, 11 time pro bowler, pro bowl MVP, even, which is kind of, kind of jokes for a linebacker. You, yeah. don't, you don't really expect that. Um, so he's a nine time first team, all pro, and then a five time second team, all pro. Uh, so that is just stupid. Yeah, silly. That's stupid for a guy to be that durable and that effective for that long in the NFL. And this is smash mouth football. Like Derek Brooks is running around on Astro turf. Like we talked about the big game in Philly, Scott, when we were in the waiting room, like, how gnarly that that field surface was oh. like astroturf was a different beast like you know on your body so just dude kept himself in incredible shape throw in a walter payton man of the year in 2000 i feel like Derek brooks could win that every year still he's just such a good dude um ring of honor of course number retired in tampa and at florida state uh acc defensive player of the year two-time all-american at florida state college football hall of fame He's got the gold jacket too, Pro Football Hall of Fame, Defensive Player of the Year, and Super Bowl champion in 2002. I'm trying to do this quick, so I'm just, so yeah. Well, you know, he's it's almost just, too good. Yeah, like yeah. like I could go forever. Exactly. Yeah. Um, five picks that season, in, in 02, and four touchdowns as a linebacker. That's just insanity. Um, so including the including the pick you see, the pick six versus Philly that you see in the opener for the Bucks Banter podcast, our little intro video. Uh had to have that one in there. That was a yeah. demand, not a request to our tech guy. Uh shout out Sky Pools for the, the limited tech budget they supply us with. If you're in Ontario and you need to get a pool open, closed, or maintained throughout the season, please give our our guy John a call over at Sky Pools. Um Yeah, Derek Brooks. I mean, what more can you say, right? Third all-time in tackles, led the NFL in solo tackles three different times. Yada yada, bada buda, bing bang. Derek Brooks. I'll dare anyone to have a encounter to the Derek Brooks pick. Like everybody's oh. got it. Everybody has him in the middle of that defense. All-time Bucks defense. He's yeah. got to be a top ten linebacker of all time, right? Like I, yeah. I don't know. I guess we'd have to do a bit of a deep dive to actually go through it all, but just synonymous with absolutely. Killing people, um, playing so hard, playing so smart. I mean, just what a luxury to have him uh, anchoring that defense for so many years. And just, sorry, to circle back to the draft thing, unbelievable to, to have two guys in the first round and, and for the attacks, not just hit a home run, to hit grand slams with both is just absolutely incredible. Uh, like, probably unprecedented for the 
amount of production and uh, stability that they actually got. And also to take two defensive guys when you have those two first round picks, you know, that's not easy either, right? I mean, there must have been some offensive options that uh, could have helped, but they obviously liked what they saw and absolutely nailed it. Just, just incredible. For sure. Um, so, yeah, and then next linebacker I'm setting in alongside Derek Brooks is Levante David, uh, the legend of Levante. Um, you know, since let me just – I have to read some of Levante's stats because – the intangibles, everything Levante does, like he's like this, the modern day Derek Brooks for this team. Like his, his, the biggest things about Levante is like the dude just shuts up and works his backside off every day. He sets the example in the locker room. He does it vocally when he needs to. Um, what a mentor for Devin White to have, and Devin White has, has talked about that enough. But Levante is so good against the pass and the run like to have that combination is just such a special trait for a linebacker to have both that it really is like such a difference maker in the middle of your defense. And I mean, um, so he's one of two. So since he entered the league in 2012 out of Nebraska, he is one of only two players in NFL history. And, and, and I can give you guys a little trivia on this one of two players in NFL history with 1,000 tackles, 20 sacks, and 10 interceptions through his first eight NFL seasons. Mm-hmm. Like, That's anyone crazy. want to take a stab at this little trivia question? He's one of only two guys with 1,000 tackles, 20 sacks, and 10 picks through his first eight NFL seasons. Is it Junior Seau? Nope. Good guess, though. Good guess. Urlacher? Nope. When did they play? They played uh, a long time, a little bit earlier than that. I'm trying to think when he was drafted. The the answer is is Ray Lewis. Oh, um, oh okay, yeah, yeah. I guess so. yeah. Tough <laughs> one to put anyone in the spot. I was hoping some people in the comments might have jumped in on that. Um, that was that was gettable though, but we could have gotten that. Even yeah, we should have got that. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Um, but like, just think about that. Like, that's pretty elite company, wouldn't you say? At the linebacker position, like, oh, that's crazy, yeah. right? The, yeah. the diversity in terms of how he plays the game. So, he's also since entering the league, and these are this is NFL wide. He's first in solo tackles, third in total tackles, first in fumble recoveries, sixth in forced fumbles, third in tackles for loss. So, like, I'm, ta- I'm talking about how good he is, how fast he is, and dynamic. And everyone talks about that. Like, he can play coverage. Dude can tackle too. Just because yeah. he's playing beside Devin White now, people forget that because he's kind of assumed a bit of a different role. Um, Levante David can do everything you need and more. He's second in the NFL in interceptions amongst linebackers since he entered the league. Fourth in passes defended. Um, yeah. I mean, I okay. Just, just watching the Bucks a little bit more. Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. I was just going to say I'd love to offer some pushback on the pick, but yeah, no break. Like, absolutely. Like, and then it's even more impressive when you actually start looking at these guys, uh, you know, pro football reference pages and you're seeing all these numbers and, and just how not just the eye test we've been watching since he joined the league, but um, the actual numbers to back it up. Sorry, Bo, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, having watched the Bucks a lot more closely in the last two or three years or however long it's been that we've been on this little bit of a run with the Bucks, but um, – Levante, especially when we're talking about a roster like this and you're trying to set it up under that Tampa 2 where you only have three linebackers, um, he's like one of the most malleable 
Bucks players that I can remember or like that I've watched in the last yeah. like however long this has been. Like to see him uh just the way that he's approached Devin White and integrated Devin White's game into into the that defense, like almost to like a secondary to himself being like, okay, this kid's next, like this kid's mm-hmm. unbelievable. And he just does everything, everything you would ask for a captain to do. You could just picture that he'd be like, okay, whoever you've got as your middle linebacker here, um, they're going to play middle linebacker. Levante's going to move wherever you need him on that defense. So yeah, he, it's a really, yeah, he's, he's going to be one of those all-time bucks, very – Derek Brooks-esque in my books. Maybe my favorite Buccaneer ever. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's in a very short list of a couple names who is one of my favorite Buccaneers ever, Levante David. He does nothing wrong. On the no. field, off the field, he does nothing wrong. Tell me what Levante David does wrong, and I'll run away crying. <laughs> I heard he doesn't, uh, he doesn't always – return his cart back to the corral like at the grocery store oh he's one of those guys one of those which is a tough tough one to come back from but like maybe it's circumstantial like sometimes people are in rushes and then maybe the next time he actually puts two in there you know yeah. as, as kind of a pay it forward scenario but I just hey rumors uh don't quote me don't quote me i see him i've seen him pushing old ladies uh carts back to the corral for them <laughs> see so that was one of those times i mean maybe maybe he knew where the cameras were boom are we can we can we rule that out his maybe, little tmz as a plant maybe he just stole it from her <laughs> no that's what warren Sapp would do yeah <laughs> um okay final linebacker no so i saw someone in the comments suggest hardy nickerson i'm actually going with devin white and okay. I, I know he hasn't been around long and i know um, that Devin White isn't beloved by Pro Football Focus, for example, in that specific like analytic model. Um, but what I've seen from Devin White since he has joined the Buccaneers, and and I watched him at LSU too, but I'm judging him by what he has done in this his short time, these couple seasons in Tampa. I just think he has been an an absolute difference maker uh, paired with Devin White. Like talk about. Like the way he attacks running backs or quarterbacks or whomever, like he, he can sack you. He can he, he knocks the crap out of running backs who are just made of nails and do not get rattled. And you just see them like seeing stars and getting up and be, like Christian McCaffrey on the mic'd up last year was like running up to Devin White right away and he's like, "You're the best in the league." You know that, right? <laughs> Devin's just like, "Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah." I know. Like that's pretty good praise from Christian McCaffrey, right? Like he didn't even yeah. know he was he was being recorded. Um, so Devin White's just special. He's special, and he's gonna be a problem in the NFL for a long time. I think I think people can make real arguments about Nickerson, though. For sure. Um, for sure. Kind of the first one I would. Well, it's hard because I absolutely think White will be on this list if we do it again in a in a couple years or or whatever, but. Nickerson was good. Like, like, what was he, a five-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, another NFL Man of the Year. Like, the Bucks just have these unbelievable citizens, either cart corrals or not. Uh, like, it, it's pretty impressive here. I, I don't know if anyone's dropping Nickerson. Sorry, you said someone's dropping Nickerson's name in the comments here. I think yeah, we've that, got a couple. We've got a couple uh, Nicks, Nickersons. Like, 
I think that's fair. And was he? Was it? Did it come down to those two when you were when you were making? Yeah, the Nickerson was right on my list. This is the one where I feel like I kind of reached. I'm going by how much I love uh, love him, and I'll probably also I'm getting lots of lots of hate on this one. So I think that's fair. To be honest, I guess I, it's my own bias. I have to acknowledge my own bias in this case, and obviously I haven't. Like Hardy Nickerson was a bit before my time, and I know I picked Leroy Salmon as well, um, but that's that's. That's who I went with. It's Devin White. Yeah, we didn't have play. We didn't have any player props for Hardy Nickerson either. Like, yeah, thank you, Bo. Like there's a big part of this is that we love could, Devin White. And we I love, couldn't bet on it. Yeah, yeah. single digit tackle totals when the Vegas sets it on him. So, I, I I love Devin White. It's definitely a potential pick, and I think I think that's what's going to age well just from seeing the start of Devin White's career. Yeah. Imagine how much we would have hammered the over on Devin or on Derek Brooks tackles each week. Like, <laughs> Seriously. What what could they have set the number at that we wouldn't have taken? Nickerson as well, possibly, but Brooks I, 18 and a half. Yeah, yeah. Sign it up. Sign me up. Parlay him with the golfer. Let's go. Yeah, you got to get on that Devin White train this year. I'm super curious to see what they set his tackle lines at. Uh, because for anyone who doesn't know, me and Bodan. Devin White was our number one guy to bet on last year in terms of over tackles. There were games, I think the highest it was at was like 11 and a half total tackles. And I was like, we're going over, Bo. And he's like, he's like, no, dude, that's just stupid. Like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, we got to do it. If it's this high, he's going to do it. Yeah. By the end of the year, by the end of the season, it was being just like, have they said it yet? Have they said it yet? And like, whenever, like instantly, whenever they said it, I would just drop whatever I was doing and just put at least a unit on it. I wonder what it was. I think he might have been like twelve and four on the over or something like that, and I remember one where you guys or Colin lost, but it was like they gave him a half that wasn't like it should have been a full tackle kind of thing, and they gave him an assisted, and it should have been another win. I don't know if I'm remembering that wrong call. I'm pretty sure that's ha- that's what happened though. For sure, the the, the yeah. tackles is a bit of a fickle statistic in terms yeah. of how it's how it's done. Um. Yeah, Johnny Dean, I appreciate you showing me some love. I, like, maybe I didn't watch enough Hardy Nickerson when I was 11 years old, and maybe I do deserve to be blamed for that. But can't really get angry over your Devin pick, but, man, that's really putting yourself out there, Colin. Better hope better hope Devin lives up to Hardy now. So there we go. There we go. I promise you he's going to be mentioned in that that conversation, um, if not succeeding Hardy Nickerson. But shout I feel like out was, to Hardy. Yeah. I feel like there was like a, a lot of like Devin White kind of like a Tom Brady esque like leader when he was at LSU. Like even as a freshman he was like, mm. leading that defense. So I, I've I've got high hopes for Devin White and what he could mean for uh the Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah, yeah can, we, can we get Ed Orgeron on the pod? Uh I would love yeah. to hear him talk about Devin White. I could ask oh, him about I almost, I almost tried he to hasn't correct. returned any of my emails actually. I will keep on trying to book him, but you got to meet him at the fish fry down in the bayou. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's um, not he's not on email. Um, so true. On email, that's, that's how you would say it. <laughs> exactly on email. Shout out to my guy Sheldon Corals as well. Always uh, perennially underrated linebacker who played alongside Derek Brooks. Uh, love Sheldon Corals, and he's in the Bucks front front office, so that's really cool too. Okay. The cornerback position. We've we've covered the the front seven. It is time to dive into the secondary. I'm rolling with two corners and two safeties. Um, so first cornerback. I mentioned Levante David as my 
potentially my favorite Buccaneer ever. Um, this guy is also in that top two or three, and I, I refuse to take a stance one way or the other. That's Rondé Barber. Um, just an incredible player, just so similar to um, Levante and Derek Brooks in terms of how he conducts himself on and off the field. But uh, mainly we're focused on on the field, hence the fact why Warren Sapp is on the list. Um, Rondé's a stud, absolute stud. Led the NFL in interceptions in 01. Uh, first cornerback in NFL history to have 20 career sacks and 20 career interceptions, which he achieved in 2005. So he went in to have went on to have you know uh, 27 more interceptions after that and eight more sacks after that. So that's bonkers, like Charles Woodson type stuff before Charles Woodson was was up in it. Uh, and he remains, Rondé Barber remains the only player in NFL history with 45-plus interceptions and 25-plus sacks. Like, yeah. those are pretty valuable stats um, that that I think need to be, you know, acknowledged. Um, tough, durable dude. Most consecutive starts by defensive back in NFL history at 215. First That's run, unbelievable. Like, right? Like, think of yeah. how hard it is, too, to be – to be playing that position against like dynamic receivers, right? Like Rondé Barber's got a resume, bro. Like uh, led the NFL in fumble returns for touchdowns twice, three times finished top 10. He has five seasons of 90 plus total tackles. Um, yeah. and two of two where he was over a hundred in total tackles. He had 10 picks in 01. So his combination of supporting the run and tackling Right, which is a lost art often with these DBs these days. Well, at least these shut down corners, they can't really yeah. tackle. They might be absolute ball hawks, uh, but they can't tackle or one way or the other. Right, and then you get a guy like him who can just do them both at an elite level, and it's special. So, how is this man not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? It is one of my biggest issues in like sports. I don't understand it. Um, he will, right? Like, come on, what are we doing here? Yeah, and and I I sure hope so. So yeah, yeah. like last thing I want to do is like disparage another Buccaneer, but like Rondé's been eligible and not gotten in. John Lynch is in um, and pro football reference, which is such a great website for looking up stats as I'm sure we all do on the regular, mm-hmm. uh, at least us three. Um, <laughs> they have a uh, pro football reference hall of fame monitor, which is like their own score based on like their first year. How productive were they in these statistical categories? Then it goes to your second year and down and down just to kind of see your top years. So John Lynch was a 71.3 according to that monitor whereas Rondé Barber's an 83.58 so that's like a pretty substantial you know just looking purely at the statistics so both those guys are invaluable and obviously both on this list and did he do something like who did he did he was he mean to someone like I don't understand like no way like every time you talk about Rondé Barber we look at his stats it's just like he's a first ballot like and based on this list, it's impossible that anybody has ever been mean to anyone. Um, I, <laughs> I think Rondé like read to the visually impaired at halftime of games and, you know, was the secret Santa for the whole roster. Like everyone's just a man of the year at various points in their career on this list. So I can't imagine <laughs> that Rondé was, um, uh, you know, doing anything too iffy. It was Tiki who had the very shady – Leaving his wife while she was pregnant, I think for a report for a reporter, something like that. Anyway, Rondé was far away from that. Like I said, uh, doing charity work, I'm sure. Um, yeah, obviously phenomenal. Uh, the game started streak is 
apps, uh, maybe Hall of Fame worthy in itself. The fact that you can actually do that and not suck is impressive, and he was fantastic. Also, just the fact that he, uh, you know, his whole career with the Bucks almost overlaps perfectly with Brooks uh, in in that time. He was he was two years later. Just obviously no brainer. He's phenomenal. And yeah, my theory, Scott, is just like that. Like I think I think people are punishing him because they don't like Tiki, and I, I didn't like Tiki Barber either. I didn't like the New York Giants. I didn't like how he played, and I didn't love him all like the, the stuff he got himself yeah. into. He's a bit of an attention seeker. Rondé is the polar opposite. Yeah. yeah. It's just like my buddy Tyler Leeming and his sister Jen Leeming. Like Jen is Jen is Ronde and my buddy Ty is Tiki. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much the angel, the perfect angel and the devil. Oh, wow. They happen to be related. If Ty listens, he's gonna come on and say that he is actually a better athlete than Ronde and Tiki, so we better get rid of him. Yeah. Uh, the but to be fair, I mean Ronde and Tiki were born minutes apart, right? So who knows what happened in that time to really distinguish the personalities. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. Oh, uh, okay. So Johnny Dean mentioned, uh, yeah, that's interesting. mentions the Tampa two bias. So he's spoken to like hall of fame voters who say that Rondé benefited from the scheme, which is, okay. this seems super valid, Johnny Dean. Like, um, afterwards, he said he could be as effective in different schemes and even in the safety position. So it sounds like that particular, and that's Johnny Dean coming in on Facebook, always one of our most active participates, participants. Um, yeah, might not always agree on everything, but that makes sense that people would look at it that way. You just It's not fair to hold a, hold a scheme against a player. I think that team was just so good, that defensive unit, that they just feel like they can't yeah. lo- throw them all in all at once, you know? Yeah, and if, if Johnny's point is about be, being a hall of famer if that's what's holding him back then all right that's valid but you know for this list obviously it's the best box of all time well guess what that was the scheme they ran under kiffin so here we are right so yeah shout out monty kiffin man what a g uh a pretty polar opposite amongst his son actually talking about the leaming uh barber comparisons monty kiffin and lane kiffin pretty different people yeah i would say um, so this one is what kind of like surprised me going back through. Cause I really tried to use a lot of statistics to like guide my final decision. And obviously I have my own biases and I actually thought for the second cornerback position based off of memory, I thought I would be going with, uh, Brian Kelly, who was playing opposite Rondé in the glory years or a keep to And I thought a keep to was kind of like of that Gerald McCoy, like floating under the radar on a, on a bad team being really good. Like um, Aqib Tlaib spent a number of years in Tampa. He was there from 08 to 2012. So four seasons. Um, And then Brian Kelly is just like an awesome dude who didn't mess up a ton and always did good things. And uh, Oh, Jeffrey Olson coming in with the hot take that I love. I hate to just scoop back, but I love this basically invented the nickel position. He would be great in any scheme. Amen. Jeffrey Olson preach brother. I love that. So true. Um, but sorry, back to the other cornerback position. So the names I was considering, Aqib Tlaib, um, Brian Kelly, and yes, Carlton Davis. And I didn't expect to have Carlton Davis really in my consideration. But when I looked at the numbers and what he's done in his first three seasons, um, he's got 70 more tackles than uh, Tlaib. He's got 10 less inter 
less picks than Tlaib. So Tlaib was the ball hawk we were talking about. But more passes defended, more forced fumbles, all go to Carlton Davis. Brian Kelly isn't really in their same category in terms of stats. Um, but just a couple of, like, aspects of Carlton Davis's production that I think is super valuable. And the lack of picks, like, I mean, Carlton Davis – I, like some guys this day and age are so good. Offensive coordinators are just pretty simply going to avoid them because they're that creative or that going to design their game plan that way. And I think he's often a result of that. Um, he's been a steadier quarterback despite the lack of interceptions. And he's far more coachable, more of a team first player than Aqib Tlaib was, especially during his Tampa tenure, which wasn't as impressive as I thought. Aqib mm-hmm. Tlaib's career took off after he left Tampa way more than I remember it happening. Um, so despite the fact I'm wearing this jersey, oh wow! Despite the yeah, fact wow. I'm wearing the Akib, I might have to just throw on the Carlton Davis. Oh wow! There he uh, is. Uh, That's prime right there. Yeah, because Carlton Davis also has a Super Bowl as the team's number one corner, lining up against the likes of Terry McLaurin and Michael Thomas and Devonte Adams and Tyree Kill, en route to winning the second Lombardi Trophy in franchise history. So before you rip on me for that one, take it for what it is. And I got two jerseys to back up respect for both those cornerbacks. You definitely should have. You should have been. Uh, you should have had the Carlton Davis underneath the Aqib Talib to yeah. nail this pick. I thought about it, but I don't think you know what it's like to live as a thick boy with two C's. <laughs> <laughs> like easy coming from Simeon Rice over there talking to Warren Sapp, telling him to put another shirt on, bro. Like, <laughs> no, I can't do that. I'm sweating right now, as is, and it's cold down here. Fair getting hot over here, Bo. Okay, it's getting warm. We don't need our boy with multiple jerseys, you know, just showering three times a day. Uh, I, I still think it worked, Paul. I think I think yeah. that reveal was good. Yeah, I like I like the I like the Akeem Talib pick when I first uh, when yeah. we were going through this earlier. Um, I just I just have a soft spot for Akeem Talib. I like the way that he <laughs> he operates to like to bring up Gerald McCoy as like. They're the same in that they were on some pretty bad Bucks teams, but yeah. um, Aqib Tlaib definitely has that mean streak um, and like that unrefined, endearing quality. Well, of, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. With a quick Wikipedia search, Aqib Tlaib's favorite players were uh, Michael Irvin and Deion Sanders. So I think yeah. he likes guys that uh, mixed it up just a little bit. And totally. uh, Cowboys, he's a Texas guy too. But um, yeah, Colin, I. Th- I I think I definitely remembered it the same as you. I thought he was more productive relative to his entire career in Tampa than he was after the fact. But uh, I think that's, I think how it went after he left is actually warranted in, in leaving him off here. Uh, maybe a couple more years as a solid buck would. Even would, one more might have done yeah, it. Maybe yeah. even one more. Yeah. Uh, one big year. I mean, yeah, I don't know who else you were really considering here or if it kind of came down to those two guys but uh i mm, yeah mm, tough yeah and like you know what i was surprised that this was a tough position like i like like tampa has not been blessed with a ton of great cornerbacks in mm-hmm. their day at least yeah. as individual players so well, um, you have absolute game records in your front seven uh, you know you've been able to get away with it because they've had so much talent on, on their lines and, and in the linebackers right so totally and um coming in with the fire in the comments jeffrey olsen on youtube says shout out to revis island Darrell revis i think people forget Darrell revis was a buccaneer he just wasn't a buccaneer long enough coming yeah, off I don't think, I don't, yeah 
I completely forgot he was a Buccaneer. Remember when they got him? How big of a deal it was, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. Of course, I do, Scott. I like what? planned. <laughs> I forgot who I was talking to. Yeah. No, sorry, you're speaking to anyone and everyone. Yeah. I get it. Um, but yeah, so like Brian Kelly, Brent Grimes, Darrell Revis, like these are names of like that I, that yeah. I considered. And Brent Grimes was really good um, in Tampa. Um, but he, I, the way he ended his career in, as a Buccaneer, and I was like really riding hard for for Grimes as being underrated and, and left to die by by Miami. But the way his Bucks career ended was just awful. Like he was gave up. It was pathetic. So yeah. um, that threw me off. Uh, I had a close encounter with his uh, wife, Miko Grimes, actually, with uh, Caitlin. I don't know if you guys remember her from Twitter or Facebook. She is the most outspoken wife of an NFL player in the history of the sport. <laughs> um, so you'll know who I'm talking about when you look it up. But anyway, she wasn't having issues, taking issue with me or Caitlin, but she was with some other folks who weren't who weren't singing Brent's praises that day where the uh, Buccaneers geez. gave up 17 points. The Carolina Panthers. Oh, I remember and scored that. none. And scored none. Oh, and scored. I was about to say, I'm like, all right, that doesn't sound so bad. No, yeah, they, they didn't score. They didn't. I didn't get to hear the the cannons fire that trip to Ray J. Oh. Um. Anyway, ho, oh, we're getting through this. Okay, on to the safeties. I'm not going to spend much time on this. Um, John Lynch, of course, John Lynch. Everyone knows John Lynch. He belongs in the Hall of Fame, and he belongs on this list, no doubter. Um, in terms of the John other, he just never cried in his life. Does anyone else get that feeling? Like yeah. he just maybe he can't. Like he's had some sort of tear duct thing, but <laughs> like uh, he just absolutely wrecked people over the middle. Like yeah. uh, just bone jarring hits, and he was playing. It's a little bit different even now compared to then in the you know twenty years since his prime kind of thing, but. uh such a vivid football memory of mine is the white boy safety for Tampa just wrecking people. Yes. Right? Like, and his numbers obviously bag up. He's he's one of the best bucks ever. It's not a this is a no brainer, obviously, but like he was he was super fun to watch too. Yeah, and I I like talking about like you know the white boy safety that leads me right into the other safety who I'm going to pair with John Lynch, and that's Chris Conti. Oh, yeah. There's no yeah. way. No, I'm just joking. You, you want to end this podcast right now? Unless the Conti family is sponsoring this, then he's not making the list. Yeah. If you guys we, want to donate, we could work something out. Um, we wouldn't need much also. They're right? not sky yeah. pools. You understand? Like, they're yeah. not – we're not doing that many favors to this. Yeah. To Dude, us before us do you guys before. remember the stiff arm by the Steelers tight end on Conti on – I think it was like Monday or Sunday it night. It was Monday night football. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, ended his career pretty much. It was the. Fatality. I remember asking you why you want to be a Bucks fan every time I was watching Chris Contenti play. That's wasn't yeah. that when Fitzpatrick started three and zero and he was just absolutely lit it up and it was uh, Pittsburgh Tampa Monday Nighter. Am I remember remember I that? I think the Conte yeah. Chris Conte was was a year or two before. Oh okay. okay. I think yeah. so. We'd have to check it out. But yeah. like, I don't love like remembering these days anyway because I'm just happy to be where we are now. <laughs> Yeah, Conti was Thanos. Thank you, Johnny Dean, the professor. No, the other corner or the other safety I'm going with after one year in the NFL, Antoine Winfield. Um, what an impact rookie season. And I think it speaks to like the not 
super high quality group of safeties that have been in Tampa opposite John Lynch. I think that's been a serious struggle for us. Drafted Mark Barron, seventh overall, I believe, the one year. He's since turned into a linebacker and fizzled out of the league. There's been some guys, Bradley McDougal, Tenard Jackson, like guys I liked, like random players who I thought might step up but never really established themselves. Um, and I think that Antoine Winfield is going to be really special. And if you if you're giving me like one season, like I'll take him off his rookie year going into year two to to be the the corn or the safety. And I know there's there's tons of Johnny Dean. Oh, it was Winfield better in in one year than Rondé? No. No, Rondé's best years were still um, a lot better, unless you're talking about rookie years. And I don't remember Rondé's rookie year. Sorry. So I don't remember why. I think there's like a – he also had a comment about putting Rondé at safety. But I, I feel like that's just a – that's a cheat at that point. Like, yeah, it would feel like a I cheat. I as a corner. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Yeah. Man, well, Mark Barron, I would have been super – I was super high on him in that draft too. Were you? Yeah, really liked him. Might have been just the bias of him being on such a good team, but I've actually played soccer with the Scottish guy named Mark Barron, and it was is he's so funny and like just said absolute beauty off the field, said unspeakable things on the field to anyone who would listen. Like it, it was incredible. And then when Mark Barron was coming up and playing in, uh, I think he he went to he's an Alabama guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, just funny that those were like two Mark Barons that uh, you know kind of had access to at the exact same time. But um, but anyways, yes. Yeah, so, okay, so you're gonna you're gonna stick with Winfield. So clearly the um, you know the recent Super Bowl is weighing heavily on this roster, which isn't even a, criti- a criticism, by the way. It make it makes sense. They were really good. Yeah, and he was just the most reliable player for safety on a Super Bowl winning defense as a rookie, um, you know, with Mike Edwards and Jordan Whitehead swapping in and out beside him. And I just think for him to be the leader back there as the last line of defense for this defense uh, is just so important. So, um, oh, no Super Bowl luck. Jeffrey Olsen, dude, you're crushing it with references. No love for Super Bowl MVP, three-pick Dexter Jackson. Thank you for bringing his name up, man, because it wouldn't be fair to mention mention safety without at least acknowledging Dexter Jackson's dominant performance in that Super Bowl, uh, dismantling the Oakland Raiders single-handedly pretty much. Um, but, no, Dexter Jackson didn't do enough outside of that game, and, uh, you know, he was solid enough that season, but I'll take Winfield all day every day. Um, and, but you're right, he certainly belongs to be mentioned – with some yeah. of the other names, considering I threw out Tenard Jackson, for God's sake. So um, that's fair, man. Good call. And Chris Conte was technically mentioned before him. So <laughs> yeah. like, if anyone's like keeping tabs. That was a joke. I was I almost said Vernon Hargraves for my cornerback over Rondé Barber just to really oh. get people riled up. But I can't even joke about that, the no, Vernon Hargraves crazy. situation. Um, so there you have it. I will quickly just reiterate um, off the edge for the grit, for the Buccaneers, the all-time defensive unit, Simeon Rice and Leroy Selman coming off the edges. Um, inside those boys, you got Warren Sapp and Gerald McCoy. Uh, the linebackers, Derek Brooks, Levante David, and controversially, I'm going with Devin White uh, over Hardy Nickerson. Um, shout out Sheldon Corals, first reserve I would take off the bench. The cornerback position, led by Rondé Barber. 
Um, hesitantly initially, but then more confidently, I slid Carlton Davis in opposite him on the other cornerback spot. John Lynch and Antoine Winfield Jr. are the last line of defense as the two safeties. Uh, both more like strong safety types, but I don't really care for the purpose of this exercise. I'm putting them both in there. And defensive coordinator. You got to pick a defensive coordinator. And and during our last Bucks Banter podcast, which wasn't live on Bucks Report, uh, we, we were talking about, I, I think, I can't remember, Scott or Bo, which one of you guys brought it up. Uh, I think it was Bo, about the offensive coordinator situation in Miami. And they actually have two yeah. offensive coordinators. And we were kind of making fun of them for that and how we don't believe that's the ideal situation for Tua Tungavailoa to succeed in Miami. I mean, it's make or break second year, one might even argue. Uh, but I would want to put Monty Kiffin and Todd Bowles together as the defensive coordinators because it's so hard for me to pick between Monty Kiffin and Todd Bowles af- after the year Todd Bowles just had. And Monty Kiffin has been untouchable my whole life. No. whole point of the list is to make tough decisions. You have to pick one. <laughs> yeah. That's that's literally the whole thing here. Okay, so I can respect that, of course. <laughs> uh, you're going to make me pick between Monty Kiffin and Todd Bowles, and I'm just going to say right now, also, um, Todd Bowles was sorry, just – yeah. I was just going to say also, I think Greg Schiano, Greg Schiano played a huge role on when he was leading leading this Buccaneers franchise on the defensive side of the ball. So if you wanted to throw Schiano – Legendary buck a bone. Just I just want that to be made clear. And I'm kidding. Don't bite yeah, don't bite that one, folks. Don't bite <laughs> it. Scott's Scott's reeled it out there. He sucks. Yeah. God, sucks. <laughs> yeah, oh but, man, he's yeah. the worst. I don't honestly maybe rather Shiano than Lovey Smith based on how he coached our boys though. Oh um but oh. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, Scott. Okay. All right, let's hear it. Let's hear yeah, it. What do you so, got? so it's gotta be Todd Bowles. Um he just what he did, like he in that yeah. Super Bowl game, man, it was so incredible. You, are you shaking your head because you disagree strongly, Scott, or well, because I just you know, Monty Kiffin is as synonymous with those defenses as any of those guys, which who are star players. And how often does that happen? That the like, I feel like Monty Kiffin was ninety-two years old forty years ago, and he's know. Still, you know right and. What Bulls did, absolutely incredible. But if it's kind of a lifetime achievement box thing, I still think Kiffin gets the edge. Yeah. Also, he or, he also helped orchestrate a Super Bowl win. So it's not even like Bulls necessarily has it on him. Now, Bulls shut down um, uh, Mahomes, obviously, which is you know a special accomplishment unto itself. But it's got to be Kiffin. I think, like, I can't hate on that. You're the one who's making me pick, man. Oh, oh, oh I'm, my bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I know. I just love them both so much. So I think that if you work, if there was some way to measure how much the coach's game plan affected the defensive unit's success, I think Todd Bowles' influence in the postseason cre- was was worth more value to that particular assembl- assemblance of players, especially that young secondary to play way above what they were physically capable of. And I think Todd Bowles' scheming and genius and the way that he just owned Andy Reid in that offense in that Super Bowl game was something that like will stick with me forever. And Monty Kiffin, over a lifetime, yeah, you're right, and maybe I should be picking him for that. And maybe it's the recency bias involved. But, but his was like those players were so stacked. 
so great at all levels and not to take anything away from him for it. I love Monty Kiffin. I don't like arguing against him. I would prefer to just argue for Todd Bowles because I think the coaching job he did was as close to a perfect game as you can have as a play caller in the NFL on either side of the ball. And rarely do you see a defensive play caller um, put such a triumphant fingerprint on a game and and what Todd Bowles did in that Super Bowl was just unbelievable. Like I still get shivers thinking about it. It was pretty unbelievable, and I feel like when I was watching the Bucks in that postseason run, I was like, "How did this guy flame out in New York? Like this, he is doing everything right, like week to week, and making every adjustment, and just showing so many different looks, even out of half times. So like he was, it was a crazy run, but yeah, I, I could, I, I'm with." I can kind of see where – not that I can kind of see. I can definitely see where Scott's coming from on uh, Monty Kiffin because he is synonymous with that 2002 defense as well. I don't love that Boom just made such a coherent argument that I'm somewhat second-guessing it. I was actually thought we were going to uh-huh. kind of roll into the end of the show with uh, <laughs> uh, a huge – a Bulls-like win for myself, actually. But um, I still – I do think it's Kiffin, but Bulls – fantastic but longevity wise and uh just how many times giffen did it and the fact that he has like his signature defense that he basically created and everything is uh i don't know i, I would go giffen but yeah that's- it's still called the tampa too but anyway those are like those are like my two favorite bucks coaches ever almost well not yeah yeah. Regardless, uh, I, I'm glad to know, Scott, I at least took a little chink out of your armor there because I do appreciate you standing up for Monty Kiffin. And and uh, Jeff Jeff Olson, again, with some great takes. In a 4-3 defense, it's got to be Kiffin. So he's saying match the coach to the personnel, yeah. Colin. And that's a totally reasonable take. Um, that's on YouTube. Wade Sowers on Facebook said Monty Kiffin all the way 100%. The Professor, Johnny Dean on Facebook, says Kiffin for legacy but actual scheme bowls above monty um, wow. yeah so there's there, this is a good debate and like yeah. i didn't i kind of regret now picking uh choosing a defensive coordinator because that wasn't necessarily uh, obligated but i'm willing to throw myself out here because i it like worth it, it. Yeah. i like yeah, it especially it. when there's two great candidates like this and like the, the fact that it isn't overwhelming for uh kiffin is kind of crazy it's kind of yeah. crazy. It just yeah, shows yeah. you how high in high regards, high regard. Boom! You obviously feel well what you're saying about Bulls, how impressive he was. It's it's really showing something about uh, you know what the what the people think about Bulls. Absolutely crazy, for sure. And you know, as we approach an hour and thirty minutes, the plan was maybe we'd come on for an hour, talk a little Bucks, Bucks exclusively. Here we are, almost at an hour and a half. So. Hey. I appreciate you boys joining joining me and all these Bucks fans at uh, Bucks Report to talk Bucks because I know you are not Bucks fans, you're football fans, but you guys did a hell of a job chopping it up and listening to me ramble on about all of these different Buccaneers. So, thank you, boys. Man, that was fun. Yeah, it was Leroy, really fun. Leroy Selman. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I, did, I mean, I didn't know I was going to learn so much about Leroy Selman this morning when I went. Yeah, up, next time I'm in sure. Tampa, I'm just riding that highway to and fro. <laughs> <laughs> Leroy stole the show tonight. Oh, what? A, but seriously, wow, what a career! And going through these guys and just looking at these incredible Hall of Famers and everything, so cool to do it from a Buck standpoint. But it makes you kind of want to just look at each 
franchise is all defensive team or all offensive team, right? It's just just kind of a cool exercise to go through. Yeah. We'll I, see what, so I wonder if we could just do it like, do we think that the Tampa's all-time defense is the best all-time defense ever? That's very interesting. Like, where do uh, they rank? No, like, maybe I, that's, I, we I, can do it in another episode. Off I, the top of my head, I would guess Chicago's is better. But yeah. um, that's like, look at – Look, when Colin sent us the list of the 11 guys, I said, who is scoring against this team? I mean, <laughs> yeah. obviously, it's ridiculous. It's literally a, a cross-generational all-star team. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's good. But hard to imagine many franchises have a better crew of 11 than that. And you can't run the ball against them at all. Like, there's some yeah, susceptibility on the in the back end, I guess. But um... – so I would think there's probably some other all-time teams that you could throw together that would be a little sharper on the back end maybe. But um, that was a lot of fun. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on Bucks Report. Uh, make sure you check us out on Twitter, at Bucks Banter. Please, lots of good stuff there where we link to our YouTube channel or our podcast, which are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, we don't only do the Bucks Report show. We're talking league round topics all the time. Um, we're doing division previews for every division in the NFL. Uh, we've started in the AFC. We've done the AFC South and the AFC East so far as we work our way towards the NFC. So that's me, Scott, and Bo chopping it up about football, which we love to do um, more than anything else. So, Scott, where can we find you? Where can people find you if you want them to holler at you or uh, follow yeah. along? Oh, sorry. Yeah, on Twitter at, uh, at Captain Ron underscores in between Captain and Ron there. So, yeah. Pass me a follow. How about you, Bo? Yeah, I'm at uh, Bo Knows Ball, B-O-H Knows Ball. So, yeah, come hang out and let's have some more fun. This doesn't have to just be a Monday night thing for us. This is our life now. Yeah. <laughs> follow, Bo, follow Bo if you want the spicy Jokic takes, all right? <laughs> Bo's got lots of good, uh, lots of good NBA stuff. So, and football. Yeah. with that and being football. said... Leroy's a highway. <laughs> I want to ride it all night long. Oh.